0: this text today, as we kind of turn the corner and begin to think about um, where we are in uh, in the book of Colossians, we're going to wrap up our study on in, uh, in Colossians. We've called it Uncommonville, and it's basically been a description of how grace, uh, God's amazing and uncommon grace, transforms a person, and that can transform a city. And it is anything from ordinary uh, when God's grace is present. We've talked about Um, uh, just uh, Uncommonville is a place where Christ is exalted. Uh, Matt did a great job last week of talking about just the practical ways that we can acknowledge Jesus in everything that we do, and how um, revolutionary the things were that Paul taught 2,000 years ago, and how that has continued to progress. Um, So there's so many points in this, and um, today's text in particular— I thought it was just a great place for us to land as we're welcoming Jane and Winston. Um, And I think Paul used some form of the phrase strength in numbers before the warriors did. Uh, This incredibly gifted, anointed, brilliant apostle knows that Jesus is the hero of the story and also that a kingdom work is never up to a single person alone. And so he concludes his letter noting the many people who play irreplaceable roles in the church of Colossae and in his own life as an apprentice and follower of Jesus. And we get this feeling that he is not just saying, hey, I'm so thankful that these people could fill these roles and and get plugged in to do these certain tasks. Um, these are people that he wrapped his arms around. And uh, that's... Uh, The picture that I want us to have as we go into this. Uh, This time last week, as I mentioned, I was in St. Louis. Callie and I got to go back and spend some time with family, and I got to reconnect also with some friends, and um, there were several times as I was hanging out, whether it was with family or friends, that I mentioned the names of so many of you um, who are on this call right now, um, who are on this Zoom call, Um, and it was uh, just in sharing with them, hey, this is what god's doing and this is this is uh, let me tell you a little bit about our church and uh, let me tell you about who has just really uh, been so meaningful for me and my family and and so I, I remember talking especially to my brother about some of you um, who are gifted artists. My brother is an art teacher and he has his master's in fine art and just naming some of you and talking about how I would love for you you guys to meet. Um, I talked with a, a friend of mine, Randy, and, and talked about some of you who are just exceptional leaders in your fields. And um, I drank way too much coffee with a friend of mine, uh, Joel, who I have known since my youth group days in the St. Louis area. And he talked about discipleship and formation and the future of God's Big C Church, and I thought about uh, those of you that, you know, Dave, I've been on your porch, and how many times have we talked about discipleship and seeing people maturing in Christ and um, saying, Brian, with you and uh, in your home, and so anyway, all of those people have been praying for you. They celebrated what God is doing here, and so as we read this passage in Colossians, what I want you to see is it's like Paul was saying, hey, these are some people that are really important, and um, they've been praying for you as a church as he writes this letter to these people in Colossae who may have felt really alone at the time, but Paul was saying, you are anything but alone. There is a, there's a whole army of people thinking of you and praying for you and are grateful for you, and, and so that was, um, I don't know, I kind of got to experience, I think, a little bit of maybe what Paul felt as he was writing that, so um, having said that, um, this morning, let's just begin with, uh, I want you to recall the people in your life who have supported, encouraged, endured, cheered, stood tall, and stood out, and even laid down their lives on the line for you and for the gospel. Who is Who are those people? And if you want to give a, just a shout out um, by name, this is a great time to use that chat feature. Or maybe it's just um, just a, a general, hey, I've got a great friend or you know, my grandmother was that person for you. But who are the people in your life, if you were Paul and you were writing a letter, who are the type of people that you would mention that have supported you, encouraged you, maybe challenged you when you really needed to be challenged, um, who stuck their neck out for you? Seeing some of these as they're as they're popping up here. Ned Richardson. Now I've heard, I've heard Tim talk about Ned. That's great. Barry Brown. Kathy. Hmm. Dieter. Yes. I've heard so many great things about Dieter. Um, Cashy and Bill. I've been a firsthand witness of that too. Hmm. Michelle and Mary Beth. Just in general, Abby's thanking her faith community people. That's great. Hmm. Mary Beth giving a nod to the people that um, surrounded her as a group in San Francisco when she became a Christ follower. Hmm. Tim and Dave. Christine, your mom. That's great. And she's with you today. Naomi, your grandma, I've heard you share some things about your grandma and the role she's played. (laughs) And Brenna says, Naomi, that's awesome too. So as we as we go through this, I'm, we're not going to read the whole passage verses 7 through 18 all at once, but um, we're going to hear names that maybe we're hearing for the first time, or it just seems like a real random, who in the world is this? If, if you're like me and you've listened to, uh, you've watched the Oscars, and they get to that part where they start thanking all the people who are meaningful to them as they are holding their award, if you're like me, that's that's when you get up and walk out because rarely do we know any of these people. Uh, but I want you to hang in there with me. Um, I'm going to give for some of them, I'll give just a little bit of background information. I bet you'll be able to think of your own person that kind of fits that, that particular um, role. Um, so beginning in Colossians 4, uh, verse 7, let me read some of these verses to you. And if you've got a Bible, I encourage you to to grab one or use a Bible app to follow along. I think that will will help you in this. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. So here's here's a little bit about, um, we'll call him Ty, because Tychicus sounds <laughs> really weird to me. But anyway, he was the letter courier. Um, there, there was not a postal service that Paul could hand uh, his letter to. He gave it to a trusted friend. And uh, so so Tychicus not only delivered the letter, but also when he arrived at uh, to that church in Colossae, he read it and was in a position where he could expound on it. As people had questions about Paul or his letter, uh, Tychicus was, was close enough to Paul to speak on his behalf. So he was not Tychicus was not simply copying and pasting and forwarding an email. Far more than that, because anybody could do that. Far more, um, he had been immersed in this message of the letter and had a personal friendship and connection, a ministry partnership with the author of the letter. And so Tychicus was not only able to read the letter, but he was also able to read between the lines of the letter, if you know what I mean. And maybe you have someone who knows and loves you that well. Um, They are someone that can read you, so to speak. Not just something that you wrote, but they can read you like a book. And to know someone um, like that, they know how you're doing. And uh, this is someone that that, that would be able to, to really walk with you in a very close way. And I believe that Tychicus was one of those people in Paul's life. Um, who knows you so well that they could share your thoughts? And who would you trust really to represent you, because that's kind of the the person that that Paul was uh, was leaning on there. Um, Onesimus is mentioned, and he is also mentioned in another letter that Paul wrote in the New Testament, a letter that he wrote to a man by the name of Philemon. Onesimus was a runaway slave. Philemon was his master and a member of the church of Colossae, and Paul led Onesimus to a saving faith in Jesus. And then encouraged Onesimus to go back to Philemon. Now, not sending him back as a slave, but rather as a beloved brother in Christ, someone who had proved himself faithful. So, these two to begin with were um, you could kind of equate who are the people in your life that you would describe as dependable? Who are the dependable um, people in your life? And maybe flip that around, Um, who would consider you to be a dependable and consistent presence in their life? Verse 10, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now, the backstory is what makes verse 10 uh, really pop. This is like, oh, wow. um, If you really kind of knew the backstory, you would hear this and go, wow, uh, this is great news. Um, The backstory is we know from reading in Acts that a rift has developed between Paul and Barnabas over Mark and his role in the ministry. And they chose to go their separate ways in ministry. John Mark had rejoined Paul after their separation during Paul's first missionary journey, so I just want to say this is an example of two very godly people who had disagreements. There will be disagreements among Christians, but in this example between Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark, we can be encouraged that disagreements and fallouts can be restored, that relationships can be restored. And no doubt the world needs to see more examples of restoration among those who claim to be Christians. So this is really, that's it's just one verse, and it could easily just be something that you blow past. But God did a real healing work to bring those men back together. Um, So if you find yourself having been ripped apart, um, don't lose hope hand that over to god i don't know we don't know all that took place to bring that healing but know that god was at the center of it and god desires to bring people back together in fellowship continuing in verse 11 jesus who is called justice also sends greetings now as you can imagine to have the name jesus in that day um was was pretty uh was very eye-opening and so it was very common for anyone in that day, in particular, who was named Jesus, to to include also known as, so that they um, just as a as a picture of humility, really would say, uh, I um, have submitted to the authority of the Messiah of Jesus. So Jesus, this person who is called Justice, also sends greetings. Verse eleven continues. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who we read about earlier in this this story, Paul goes on to say, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. It's interesting that Epaphras is the only one in this letter that Paul singles out as one who has been fervently, passionately committed in prayer. When we care deeply for people, um, we pray with passion and conviction for them. And the opposite of that is also true. And by that, I mean that if we commit to consistently pray for people, we will find growing within us a deep care and love for the people that we're praying for. I don't remember when I first heard this phrase, but um, it goes something like this. We may not talk to our friends about God because we are not talking to God about our friends. Let me say that again we may not be talking to our friends about God because we've not been talking to God about our friends. In other words, the more we pray, the more we talk to God about our friends, I believe it's going to stir within us a love for them and a desire to talk to them about Jesus. Um, So I just want to say from this example of Epaphras, I want to encourage you and I, let's be people who are known for praying for our friends and for our family. I want to encourage you to pray for people by name. Pray for them again and again and again. And as you do, notice how your heart expands and your love for them grows. The same could be said not only in praying for your friends, but also in praying for your enemies. Pray for your enemies and watch how God works in your own heart. As I thought of people who not just said a prayer for me, but prayed for me again and again and again, and whose love for me was evident just in the way that they prayed and the way they spoke to me, um, I thought about, and Beth will be able to affirm this, I thought about Noni, who will be 93 years young on Christmas Eve. She prayed daily for my family and me during our tenure in San Jose. She was a prayer warrior, is a prayer warrior um, there at that church. And her prayers daily for my family and I made such a difference. Dan and Debbie Mackey, who um, are dear friends of ours, They now live in Nashville. Um, When I talk to them, they remind me, hey, every day we pray for you and your family by name. Several of you have told me uh, that you pray for me and my family every day. Um, I was blessed to grow up in a home where my dad prayed for me every day for over 40 years before he passed away back in 2012. This past Thursday night, we prayed and we sang in the breezeway. And it was a powerful and moving time of prayer. You don't have to be in the breezeway to pray. I'm saying join us in prayer. Pray from your home. Pray for your family and friends as you drive. In those cases, make sure you pray with your eyes open as you drive. Pray for your family as you wash dishes and fold laundry. Go for a walk and pray for your family and friends. Go for a walk with your family and friends and pray for them. Pull out a journal or a notebook and write out your prayers, simply writing the names of the people that God brings to mind as you sit there with pen in hand. As you lay your head on your pillow tonight, breathe a prayer for the people God brought across your path today. If you wake up in the middle of the night tonight, pray. When you wake up in the morning, Monday morning, pray something like this, Lord, you know each and every person I will interact with today. Help me to be a blessing to each person I meet. Now you may be thinking, Gary, will all that praying really impact the people that I pray for? And I can say with confidence, maybe, (laughs) maybe, but this is what I do know. Praying will impact you. Praying for other people will expand your love and care for the people you are remembering in prayer. A characteristic of Uncommonville is that it is a city or a neighborhood of praying people, of people who deeply love and care for one another, and that love and care is nourished through prayer. At the beginning of my book, Uncommonville, I wrote about my dad praying for the people of O'Fallon where he was called the pastor and he stopped at that city limit sign he wrapped his arms around the sign and he prayed for the residents of that city did that instantly change that city no but it was obvious that it did a transforming work in my dad who spent the next 18 years making himself available to the people of that city let's pray for our families let's pray for our city Let's pray for our immediate neighbors on our block, and let's invite God to do a transforming work in us as that takes place I want to skip down and uh, just mention a couple other people in this passage um, in verse fifteen uh, Paul mentions um, a lady by the name of ninththa and and the church in her house. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nainpha and the church in her house. As I read that verse, I thought about, here we are, we're sliding into our eighth month of adjusting to life during a pandemic. And thankfully, this area has seen fewer cases, which has led to the loosening of certain restrictions, although I hear that uh, San Francisco is kind of, the city has taken a step back, but at this point in Marin, um, we have entered into uh, the orange tier, which means we are allowed to gather indoors at 50% capacity for worship, and this is great news for sure, but I want to I want to make sure that we don't overlook the great things that have taken place as we've continued having church in houses. Some of our groups are meeting part-time in person on back patios, and of course, we still gather together virtually. Um, I was talking to Heidi, and uh, she is one of several of you who have been very intentional to host small numbers of people uh, she has hosted small numbers of people in her backyard uh, projecting movies on, uh, on a wall on her backyard in her back, behind her house, and she's intentionally inviting neighbors and friends to do life together. Um, I hope I don't say this so much that you start tuning it out, but how can your house be a place for your Christian and not yet Christian friends to gather I don't know if you're aware of this, but there is no evidence that Christians met in church buildings until the third century. So for 300 years, God's church, the people, flourished as they met in homes. Those early Christians seem to have chosen their meeting places on the basis of, get this, convenience and expediency. Not too long ago, just a few Sundays ago, while hanging out at, at Brian and Stacy Kaplan's home, two of their neighbors spontaneously showed up. They stopped by. Uh, it's a couple that Brian and Stacy have befriended. Uh, the people that they're praying for, and I know I'm overstating the obvious here, but that neighborhood couple will never spontaneously stop by 150 North San Pedro at our church building. Yeah, they make Someday, make plans to do that to join Brian and Stacy for a worship service at our building. But the most convenient and expedient place for them to encounter Christ is with their next door neighbors, Brian and Stacy, in their home. Just the other day, Beth and I had a great time hosting our new neighbors. Uh, they moved in about two weeks after we did, across the street. Uh, They came over for some simple appetizers and wine on a Tuesday evening. And in those moments of laughter and getting to know one another, I sensed God's nearness and God's presence in our midst. I don't know what God is up to in that, but whatever it is, I want to be a part of it. And I wondered, what if the forced closure and restrictions on our church building ended up being the best thing that could happen to advance the kingdom of God. What if closing a church door and opening the door to your home was the beginning of God's will being done in Marin as it is in heaven? Paul said thank you to a lady who opened up her home, invited people in so they could hear and witness the gospel firsthand. In verse 18, Paul says, and just in case you forgot where he was writing from, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Remember my chains. Paul wrote from a prison cell. Paul wrote this letter to the clanking sound of iron chains, each movement of his hand directing a small symphony of iron against stone. And these sounds reminded Paul that there is always a cost to obedience. Those sounds reminded Paul that what he called his friends to join him in was radical. It was a radical call to follow Christ. But that cost never kept Paul from singing and worshiping. And the chains were, in a strange way, the instrument playing notes to which Paul sang songs of praise. Now, I don't know that it was uh, this the same time that he was uh, writing this letter. In fact, most likely it wasn't. But we read back in Acts 16, a story another time when Paul and his good friend Silas were ordered to be beaten. And after they had been severely flogged, uh, they were thrown into prison and a jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. In Acts 16, verse 24, it says this, when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Before we partake in communion, I want us to pause again and we're gonna lift our voices in song. The state of California has given us permission to gather at 50% capacity indoors, but we live in a state where those that are making decisions have said that it would violate the guidelines for us to sing while gathered inside our church building for worship. So let's each sing here where we are, right here where you are, in your home, in your car, on your back patio. Even if you feel locked up inside, if you feel chained to whatever has been holding you back, would you choose right now to sing words of gratitude and praise.